0: I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. That's right. Make sure your phone is off where we have company today. Make sure it's off. I got to get a picture. Oh, yeah. Get, get, get the All phone right, right. Everybody, everybody say cheese. Cheese. <laughs> so great to be here. Some of you me. closed your eyes. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're so thankful to be here uh, for this first live opus of Triloquy. How do you feel, Scott?
1: Uh, this feels, we made it. This is very comfortable for me, and I have to say that both Garrett and I spend so much time sitting in that room and talking to a microphone. It's nice to see you. Hi. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: so, yeah, and so I'm, I'm taking some mental pictures because I'm going to be talking to you on Thursday night, okay? Yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. yeah. so be listening
3: in.
0: <laughs> so this isn't just a very special live opus of Triloquy.
1: We're celebrating a very phenomenal woman today. The uh, 200th anniversary of Clara Veek's birth. Uh, how ma- raise your hand. How, how many people are familiar with Clara Veek's music? Okay. And that's a good amount, yeah. So, so about half. How many people are familiar with Robert Schumann's music? Robert
0: Schumann. Oh, oh, okay. Look oh, at more that. people
1: there. Yeah. So what does that tell you, Scott? That, that tells me that Clara was a victim of her time. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, there are so many stories that are coming... Uh, to everybody's attention now yeah. about just how phenomenal of a pianist she was, um, about how thoughtful of a composer that she was. And yet due to the uh, the time that she was living, almost all of the focus was going over to Robert. In fact, um, uh, she, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but she would write in her diary about how frustrating it was that All of her work had to be kind of put on hold whenever Robert was doing his thing.
0: and you know, one of one of the important things I've been thinking about when it comes to uh, Clara Schumann and her legacy is that yes, we we connect her to her husband Robert and even to uh, Brahms, to Johannes Brahms. Right. But you know, not only is she one of classical music's most important women, she's one of classical music's most important people. I mean, her music is phenomenal. Uh, we have the the pleasure of hearing some of it uh, today, live performed. And uh, they're actually the, the first folks we're going to listen to. So just uh, to let you know how, we're, how we've sort of put this uh, opus of triloquy uh, together, we, we think of Clara Schumann as a musician, but so much more. We think of her as a muse, and, of course, we think of her as a mother. She was a, a mother of eight. Do you think you could handle eight little ones at home? <laughs> Clara could, all while, you know, being the composer and the musician that she was.
1: I, I just have this picture in my mind of Robert sitting there with all of those kids while she was out on tour, and him sitting there thinking, "I'm supposed to be, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the guy on tour, you know." Or maybe or, even Or maybe, or maybe up. she
0: was just the better composer who deserved to be on tour. How about
1: that? I'm, that's that's probably what was happening.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, I hear a couple g- gasps or groans. Okay. <laughs> well, how about we uh, jump right in? So uh, the first folks we're gonna uh, talk to today, Scott, are um, the musicians who are uh, who are gonna provide us with the incredible music tonight. So please welcome Inez and Sophia to the stage, everyone. Thanks so much for being here this evening. Thank you. Um, So Inez, I want want to start with you. How about you let everyone know um, what your affiliation with Classical NPR was as as an intern?
4: So... Uh, about a year ago, so in two thousand eighteen yes, in January, I was hired to be a digital classical intern here at NPR and it was kind of a dream come true because I remember first coming to Minnesota when I was fifteen and seeing NPR and whispering to my friend, "I wish I could work there one day <laughs> <laughs> and it's really it was really a wonderful experience and I got to experience not only you know, the digital classical er- like area I was working within, but also I got to branch out and talk to so many cool people and sit inside of a lot of recording booths and it was just such a wonderful experience for me.
0: How did, uh, how did the two of you meet?
4: Oh
5: wow, that's we met start. about nine years ago in a, a summer festival in Michigan. We are both uh, born was, in Venezuela. Was this, this
0: Interlaken? Yes. OK. Yes,
5: Interlaken Arts Council. Shout out camp. to Traverse City. Um, yes. Yeah. Long trip. Um, at that <laughs> time, I was still living in Venezuela. She was, uh, she, her parents are from Venezuela. And so we just, you know, like, oh, we're Spanish, spe- Spanish speakers and stuff. And I mentioned that my family was moving to Costa Rica. And she's like, really? Um, I live in Costa Rica, and I was like, "Oh, awesome! Like, I'll I'll call you once I get there and stuff." And turns out we lived a block away oh, wow. from each other. <laughs> I know what are the odds? And then um, after that, a couple of years after, she um, came to Minnesota to finish high school, and I followed along. Uh, a, like two years after, and so we basically graduated from the same high school and are in the same university now.
4: Yeah. Destiny wants us together.
1: (laughs) Collaborating.
4: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Clara was like 10 or 11 years old when she started playing and touring and everything. So when did you two get started and as when did you start?
4: Um, It's a a little bit complicated. I did start music lessons when I was much younger, but I really started doing piano, like consistent lessons and everything when I was 13, Mm. so I was actually kind of late and I arrived to the institution that I really started playing piano at, which was called the um, Instituto Superior in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And that was basically when my professor sat me down and said, you have a lot of catching up to do.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) But it seems like you've caught up, though.
4: I sure hope so. (laughs) (laughs) What
0: about you, Sophia? When did you get started?
5: I started when I was five years old. My, the school, um, my mom, my sisters and I, and uh, it, it had a very big um, music program and so basically they made you choose an instrument like mm-hmm. it was you had to play an instrument um age five or four and I wanted to play the cello because all my friends were doing cello I was like mom I want to play the cello and she's like no you never see the cello like the cellist a soloist like why don't you do uh, violin you uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mom's not a musician. Okay.
2: You can tell. <laughs>
5: and so, um, yeah, she's like, once you uh, master the violin, you can switch to cello. It's like, okay. Once you master it,
1: like. <laughs> yeah, do you ever really master?
0: <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> so I stick to it.
1: On one of the earlier opuses, Garrett was talking uh, with a pianist about uh, being a collaborative artist rather than accompanist. Oh, you said the A word. Yes. <laughs> Mark, can you bleep that up there, please? <laughs> why,
0: why, why is it important for musicians and classical music lovers to stay away from that A word, accompanist, when it comes to music that includes piano?
4: I think it's a delicate topic, because we should never forget that there are collaborative pianos out there, and that is the C, or the collaborative pianos, right? Mm -hmm. And in their resumes, they do put, we accompany. But there is really just such a difference between the idea of accompanying, which is, I think, more the idea of you do a reduced orchestra score, and you help somebody who's preparing to play with an orchestra you know get a feel of the orchestra right versus what we will do today, which is collaboration, which is actually something that um, we we played for our professors and my professor mentioned he, when the first time we played it, he said, "You're playing this like it's a violin piece mm. it's for both of you and that really had to we really had to think of it that way we really had to think about the conversation between the instruments we had to think about the fact that um Just because I'm behind her doesn't necessarily mean that I need to act that way when I play.
2: Right. Right.
0: And and when I think of Clara Schumann's music, you know, in my mind, I go more to chamber music. You know, she did have some incredible orchestral music, but her chamber music, in my opinion, is the real sweet spot of Clara's uh, catalog. Uh, So, Sophia, uh, based on what Inez just said about treating this not as a violin piece and, you know, a piece for violin and piano as it's titled, you know, by the way. How do you approach this differently, understanding the collaborative nature and the intimacy that, uh, that uh, chamber music requires?
5: Oh, yes. Um, well, I'm always trying to listen for what she's doing. Every phrase, the way she wants it, or, and we talk about how we want it. It's not just solo piece like, oh, I'm playing this my way. You know? And so it's that exchange of ideas that makes chamber music such such great um, yeah. Such yeah, great you,
0: you hear that Scott, an exchange of ideas is important. So remember <laughs> that next time we go into the booth, okay. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you say we hear some
1: of this music?
0: And and, and before we hear it, um, you know, Inez, we, we, we spoke a little bit before we got started here. I wanted to um, ask you what you wanted uh, everyone here to think about as as they were uh, listening, and and I thought your um, your pre response was was very poignant as far as really centering the music around Clara Schumann, just erasing your mind of everything that you know as far as her connections to Robert Schumann or or Johannes Brahms. Um, I, I kind of wanted to ask you uh, about the question within that question. I mean, why? Um, is it so important to do that, to center Clara uh, uh, and and her legacy and her music when we talk about compositions like the one you're going to play?
4: Well, as you mentioned, as you mentioned before, she is a victim of her time. And in her diaries she talks about her frustrations. And she was also very hard on herself on her diaries. And it was just proof that, you know, as a woman, you live in society and you are a part of society. And that can really... Get to you. And I think it would be very unfair to her that, given how far we've come, to look at her only in relation to her husband and even to Brahms, because it's almost painful to see somebody that achieved so much on her own right who fought against that those ideas as much as she could Mm. be reduced to just somebody's wife that was kind of cool to listen to sometimes
0: and of course she was so much more as 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 we're about to hear
4: she was so cool every time i i I hear this piece or play
5: the piece i'm like she is so cool like she had a 61 year like uh career path like her career was spanned 61 years like she was playing for a long time Mm. and had eight children right and so she was on tour and. Everything just I, I think she was she was great. Well how
0: about the two of you get set up and, and, and let's hear a little bit of this music. Right. While they get set up, um, I'll, I'll tell you what you're going to hear tonight are three romances for violin and piano by Clara Wieck Schumann. Um, she wrote this in 1853 when she was 34. Scott, I haven't yet seen 34, but you have. Were you writing music at 34? I I, I have seen
1: I have seen 34 15
0: times. <laughs> and you know the, this piece of music was so popular that Henry V of of Hanover said how ecstatic he was the first time he heard it. So if this is the first time you're hearing this music, I hope that you'll agree with uh, Henry V. So this is the first movement of Clara Schumann's Three Romances for Violin and Piano. we're actually gonna hear uh, the the second two of those three romances in a bit, but uh, up next, uh, we would like, so now we've heard from um, Clara Schumann's legacy as a musician, so now we're gonna explore her legacy um, as a muse, and we invited one of um, our newest muses. I have to tell you, Scott, after uh, working all night, um, I'm always happy to uh, see Melissa Dundas, but I'm, I'm really happy to see her today. She's the newest member of the C-24 team here from uh, Nebraska. Everyone, please welcome Melissa Dundas.
1: Hey, Melissa.
6: Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good.
1: I was just thinking about how next month it's going to be 13 years that I packed up everything, moved from Omaha here to the Twin Cities. Steps that you took. How long ago now?
6: Oh, how long ago from moving?
1: Yeah. When did you When did you get When did you land here?
6: Uh, July 16th. So just over two months ago.
1: Very good. Now both Melissa and I worked at the same station, although we were separated by more than a decade. And I want to set the stage for you. KVNO uh, was 9,000 watts, something like that. Which means that if the wind blew just right, (laughs) you could catch it on the outer suburbs of town. (laughs) So I wanted to find out, uh, also to give you a little bit of uh, background on Melissa. She is also an incredible guitarist. She sings. She has a background in education, music education, right? Right. So all of these things she's going to be bringing uh, with her to the microphone. And I just want to find out what is your experience like so far here? What do you think?
6: I mean, it's been amazing. It's, uh, I mean, the culture's different. You know, it's. I'm
0: wondering in what ways.
6: Um, we were joking about this earlier, but it's like faster paced, people move quicker. You, okay, Someone you
0: guys are really selling Nebraska to me. I like okay. that.
6: <laughs> it's a little more laid back there. There are more cornfields than people. It's kind of a oh, joke, okay. but it's a true—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a true joke. A lot of cornfields.
0: Well, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm, I was trying to think of a corn segue, but it just—it
1: went. No, crazy. leave the corn to
0: me. Okay, I am.
1: <laughs> my mom always used to tell me
0: I was corny. Okay. So, um, yeah, well, in in your you know new role here um, mm-hmm. at at uh, Classical NPR, one of the one of the ways that folks can hear you regularly is on Saturday mornings uh, talking right. to the little kids. Yeah, with Classical, classical Kids, kids story Corner. Time. Yeah, you know, Classical Kids Corner, of course. And um, you know, when I when I think of that, and I think of Clara Schumann, I think of how she was a muse for so many people. We know the names Robert Schumann and Johannes Brahms largely in part to her performances. She would go around performing this music and. And that's how that's still in the conversation. I wonder if uh, you can draw any comparisons between Clara Schumann being a muse in that way and your being a muse in uh, introducing all of this phenomenal music to folks over the radio and, and through, your, uh, through your radio programs.
6: Yeah, I guess um, with my experience with... Uh, I studied classical guitar, and um, just a little background to get where some of my inspiration comes from is my professor was—he uh, studied in Spain with a man named Maestro Segundo Pastor, who was born in 1916, and he uh, studied classical guitar with Andrés Segovia. So it's oh, wow, a very, yeah. very. Andre close- Andrés Segovia
0: is your great grand teacher. <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> so there's there's a very close line, um, and my guitar professor was a Vietnam uh, veteran, and he came out of it. He was a jazz guitarist and. So, I learned from a man that, of course, was really close to the teachings of Segovia, but he was eccentric and he would just tell me all of these stories about when I learned the uh, Viola Bosch prelude number one, how it, you know, is starting in that minor key of E minor and then it modulates to E major and it's beautiful. So, he was talking about being in the jungle and Mm -hmm. he was just telling me all of these really unique stories. And then it's E major and the sun comes out. So I just heard some really eccentric, amazing stories from a man who could be totally, totally masculine and, 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 and dropping uh, all sorts of curse words when I didn't have the perfect technique, which it's just how it was. He wasn't a well, a a very well-liked professor at our, uh, at our college, but he was a very successful person. And I mean, I I didn't take it for granted, so I had such a, just a unique experience with um, with the education that I got, and I saw someone who could be so uh, up in your face, and then he could be so feminine at times, and so soft and so endearing, like like my father, you know. Mm. And so, and the way we would discuss music—that's kind of the message I try to bring to other people like uh capricio arabe by francisco tarregas like it's a romantic conversation between a man and a woman yeah and those are just the kind of conversations that i would have when i would learn the music and that was important to me i had to have those con- kind of conversations I'm a, I'm a visual learner so like it was just so helpful so when i talk to kids i kind of want to bring more more visuals into it and ask them questions and how they can relate. And it, it's a tool. He, uh, when you play music in front of somebody, an instrument or, or whatever, I mean, he told me things about myself that I was not planning on hearing in my music lessons. You, you want know, to share
0: any of those things? Yeah. So
6: <laughs> I was uh, playing the prelude from Bach's cello suite, sure. number one, and uh, it's transposed. So I was playing it in D major for on guitar. And there's accidentals throughout the piece, and I am such a daydreamer, and I get lost, and I wander, and I was supposed to be playing, I can't remember if it was a C natural, or I forgot to, I was supposed to go back to C sharp, and you learn pieces, and you get all this muscle memory built up, and after a week of practicing, you know, it's hard to go back and relearn something. But he was just like, why did you play a C sharp there? When you're supposed to, or why didn't you play a C-sharp? And I, I forgot to go back to the normal key signature. I was still playing the accidental, and I was like, I, I don't know.
0: My, my excuse in music school was always, I'm just feeling the music. That's what I'm doing.
2: <laughs>
6: <laughs> but I am. I'm such a daydreamer. I get so lost in thought, and I can, part of it, I, I'm grateful for. Because I can, I can visualize, and I can tell stories, and that's how I can... I think I can make the music my own and make it beautiful. But he's like, you know, sometimes when you're talking to somebody or meeting somebody in person, you're not really paying attention to what they're saying to you. You're just looking at them and, like, observing who they are and just trying to...
0: You hear that, everyone in the back row?
6: (laughs) Which, which, (laughs) I mean, you know, I I don't want that to come off as, like, I don't pay attention to people. But it's just... It can be used, whether you're going to listen to classical music or whether you're going to study an instrument, it can be a tool for so many other things. And that's what I loved about teaching kids is like, they're just, everybody's personality is so different in the way they approach music and what they want to share with you. And you just learn what kind of people they are. And so it was just funny that he would point things out about me and it just makes you a little, you know, you're, you're. It's, you have to be really vulnerable.
0: Yeah, and you know, Scott, that connection to music and, and personality, um, you, sometimes you can't help but to feel like you knew some of these composers. Like we know Clara Schumann in a way because we're, we, we get to enjoy um, and really dive into what was most intimate uh, for her, mo- most personal for
1: her. Well, especially uh, doing this work as we're getting ready to put a show together for you. Um, we're doing all that research. We're combing through all these anecdotes through his, uh through historical facts and and trying to make it kind of come to life uh come to life on the air uh as a complement to the music, not instead of, but as to prop it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to quickly ask you um uh, before we hear some more
0: music, do you consider Clara Schumann a personal muse in any way?
6: Yeah, I mean like like what I was just sharing now, I feel like she um, gave suggestions to Robert. I feel like she could see in him as a composer what his strongest points were, and I don't think she was afraid mm. to share those kind of things. Her
1: father sure didn't see it.
6: And um, It's true. It's true. But she had, I mean, she was trained on piano. You know, she, she learned from her father, and then he... She had really close ties, I feel like, with him, and... As a woman who grew up in a household where the man was in charge and you had to kind of follow all these specific rules, to me the the risks that she took because they were the right risks was re- is still really inspiring because that's got to be hard to have kind of that shadow of your father over you. I mean, I've you know, there's a lot of insecurities that I worked through with the music and it opened my eyes up to new things. So when I hear all of the things that she did, just because that was who she was, and it was because the right thing, and those didn't, it's almost like they didn't have as heavy of an effect on her with her, that kind of relationship, Right. which is right. really inspiring, and and obviously she did all of the right things that, you know, for the right reasons.
0: Well, how about we uh, hear a little more of those right things? Thank you so yeah. much for talking yeah, with thanks us. thanks Yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> So, so far we've heard and explored uh, Clara Schumann as a musician, as a muse, and finally we're going to explore Clara Schumann as a mother. Now, who here has heard of a show called Performance Today? Yeah? Yeah, pr- pretty, better, pretty popular but... show, right? Well, that show would not be possible without our next guest. She's a producer on uh, Performance Today. Please welcome Megan Oglesby and her daughter, Morgan. Hi, Morgan. <laughs> oh. Welcome. And hello, Megan. So many bright lights. <laughs> Megan, uh, I, well, first I want to say that I'm, I'm looking forward to your um, your solo opus of Triloquy that's coming up. We, we, we dive into some really great uh, conversations. Yes. Um, but uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is working on uh, performance today. What does it feel like to have such an important role on such an important show? When it, you know, when it when it comes to the world of classical music, performance today is way up there.
7: You know, on, on a daily basis, you just you just don't feel the magnitude of that all of the time. Yeah. Until I hear somebody say, it. I'm just like. That is my job, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I do work there. Um, it's amazing. It's it's amazing. I get to do amazing, beautiful work that gets to touch the lives of people every single day, and I just I just can't be more grateful.
0: Yeah, can't be more grateful. And we've already mentioned that uh, Clara Schumann was the mother of eight kids, and I think as we've made clear, one is plenty. But you know, in, in my imagination, I mean, t- yeah. talk talk to me about. Oh, what it's like to be um, not just a working mother, but a working mother who works on such an important show. Again, I, I, I don't want to diminish at all how integral your job is to the production of that show.
7: Thank you. It's it's a grind. <laughs> it's, and, 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 I'll and, be real. Uh, it's, <laughs> look, 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 you really want me to go there? No. Um, Clara was the real MVP, okay? Eight children? Jesus Christ. I just.
2: <laughs>
7: oh Lord, 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 Lord. Um, but people people ask me all the time, they're like, How do you do it? How do you do all of this stuff? And I'm like, God, <laughs> yeah. what can I say? What can I say? You know, um, you just do your best, you do your best every day, and and um, it, helps to, it helps to love what you're doing.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in addition to being a working mother, uh, Morgan has some very specific needs. Would you, would you mind talking to us a little bit about that?
7: Yes. Um, Morgan has a genetic disorder called CDKL5. It's a very, very rare uh, genetic disorder. And it causes a lot of other things like epilepsy and uh, developmental delays uh, and many other things, um, which she she has. Um, and we recently found out that she had this genetic disorder just a few months ago, which was really wonderful to, to find out an answer for why does my child have epilepsy? Why has she been seizing since she was two months old? Um, and so... Morgan has a lot of special needs because she can't really care for herself. She's not very independent. So Morgan is three. She'll be four next month, but she's really more like a five- or six-month-old developmentally. She still doesn't talk. She doesn't crawl. She, she can roll around and scoot around and things, um, which is a, a fairly new development. Um, but she, doesn't, she can't feed herself, and she can't stand or walk, so she doesn't do things for herself like a lot of toddlers can. So um, that makes my life even more interesting uh, than than it already is. Um, But you just have to find the support that you can, and you have to be the advocate um, that your child needs, um, whatever that may look like. And I'm really, really blessed to work on performance today because I have an incredible, incredible team of people that I work with every day to put this show on the air. And if it wasn't for them and their support and their hard work and their, their, their skill and excellence in what they do, I wouldn't be able to be the mom that I need to be for her and be able to be here at 8 PM. So
0: I take off my hat. I take off your hat to you. (laughs) You know, yes, please. Yeah. Uh, Scott, one of, one of my favorite things uh, to talk about uh, when we record the podcast is your very um, intimate and ever-evolving relationship with your father. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's really touching. And when we look at Clara Schumann's life and her legacy, we've learned that her daughters became you know, her transcribers and, and her page turners. You know, they, they assisted her in, in every step of the way. How do you foresee or maybe even how do you hope uh, to see your relationship with Morgan evolve as as she gets older and as she grows, and as and as you grow as well?
7: Well, w- one thing I I, I want to say, it goes without saying, um, and I'm, I know most parents, all parents can say this, but Morgan has tremendously and absolutely made me a better person, just a better me, a better person overall, just more self-aware, more patient. And there was something I saw on Facebook the other day Uh, Someone had taken a picture of something that they saw somewhere that said, angels sometimes come to us in the form of special kids to teach us how to be better people. And I think as my relationship with my daughter grows uh, over the years, I think that that evolution is just going to continue of her teaching me things um, that I didn't have before I had her in my life. Um, and, I, and I see my life with her as a life of service. I always thought that I would live a life of service, which is why I do the work that I do with Performance Today, which is why I did the work that I did before Performance Today. I was an, ed, I was an educator before. I always looked at my life as being one of being in service, um, but now it's even more so. Um, in, in service to to this little girl and who she can and who she could be, um, because she 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 isn't limited by by the disability that she has um, so that's, that''s that's how I see the evolution of 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 the what I like to call the adventures of Megan and Morgan yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, as you can see, uh, earlier when I was uh, adjusting your microphone, I dropped all my questions down there. So I'm, I'm winging it. You're going to wing it. Mm. I'm winging it right now. Um, Straight I, from the hip. I would, I would like for you to tell everybody here and everybody listening what it means to be a producer. Because sometimes that is such a hard to define role. That's true. And there are times where I have come in and you are, you're already there and there's times when I'm leaving and you're still sat there <laughs> working. So I wanna know how, you know, give us a sense of what the day is like, what the job is like, how can you do that, be a mother to Morgan, do CrossFit, have your life, you know, how many, how many hours in a day do you have? Because I've only got to 24 and you seem to be killing it.
7: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scott. Well, you know, when people ask me sometimes, you know, okay, you're a producer, what does that mean? What do you do? I always like to tell people, I make stuff happen. I make the things happen. (laughs) So what does that look like specifically for performance today? That means that I get to choose a lot of the music that you hear on the show between myself and our senior producer, the amazing Susie Ann Schaefer. Uh, We choose about... 90 to 95% of all of the music that you hear on the show every day. Um, And we physically get that music programmed into a schedule so that it will play so that you all can hear it. So that takes a lot of time uh, every day. Um, I write scripts. I edit audio. I come up with suggestions for cool people to talk to, uh, new music we should pursue, uh, I helped manage social media pages. I even get to interview people like Fred does sometimes. Nice. Um, I had the the opportunity to be able to create uh, some new series for the show. So, I get to also work with all of our young artists. If anybody is familiar with the PT Young Artists Program, I'm the producer for that program. So I get to plan their schedules and their itineraries. I get to fly them here, make sure they get paid, make sure they eat. I get to help them determine what kind of music they're going to play when they're here. I get to help Fred come up with what questions to ask them. And ultimately, I'm the one who then takes those interviews that he does with them. And then I sit down with them and determine, OK, what's going to actually end up on the show and what is it going to sound like? Mm-hmm. So that's just you know, some some of the stuff that I do.
0: Well, you know, like like the late great Clara Schumann, you know the word "incredible" does not begin to describe you and everything you do on a day to day basis and all the work you do. So, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, uh, Morgan, for being here with us. It's, it's yeah. really been a thank pleasure you. to talk to you. Thank you so much. Morgan Megan.
7: says
0: thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Now this is the uh, final movement, the third of the three romances for violin and piano by Clara Schumann.
1: Now we know, we've we left know the, Clara for her piano work, but it certainly sounds like yeah. she had a great feel for the violin as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, and
0: uh, and before we open it up for, uh, open up the floor for questions, Scott, you know, as I was listening to that last movement there, um, I, I found myself getting a little misty just thinking about the creation of that music way back in the in the 19th century and how for so many years, you know, we've you know the culture has sort of overlooked Clara's music simply because she's a woman. But you know how we really get to experience her now. I say all the time on uh, on the radio on Music Through the Night, um, we think of these composers as gone, as dead. But as you've heard tonight, uh, Clara Schumann is very much alive. I, I just want to uh, offer another thanks to Sophie and Inez for offering that beautiful music tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah. So if I can uh, invite all of our uh, guests uh, back up. Um, We were wondering if anyone here had any questions for for me, for Scott, or or anyone you've uh, heard from tonight. So uh, as as we're getting set up, think of some questions. I think we have a couple mobile mics if if anyone has anything uh, on their mind.
1: That last of the three romances had piano figurations that sounded like Mendelssohn. I wonder if Clara ever felt indebted to him or acknowledged any... Um, influence of him.
5: Well, we do know that she looked up to Chopin a lot. So you could see some some of Chopinesque, uh, actually a friend of ours was like, just think about it as a Chopin dance. You know, it's the waltz, his waltzes, you can't dance them, you know? So it's like an undanceable da- waltz, you know, with the, still flowy, but
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, Maybe this fellow was referring to the thing I noticed too at that last piece toward the end, Inez. You're you're doing kind of a rapid-fire, staccato kind of area, and it seemed like it really caught my attention. There's something seemed to be a diversion or unique about that part.
4: I think what we noticed um, immensely in her pieces was a great contrast in character that we, we tried very much to capture. I think you guys perhaps have noticed it in you know, in the third movement not, but also in the second movement, in the slow part that kind of had very sing-song parts, yet also kind of playful in-betweens. And so something that we worked very hard on in the third movement was kind of balancing how she, you know, she writes in the piano just so many scales up and down um, underneath the the violin's melody. But at the same time, it it comes to that part, and you're right, staccato, and we actually were practicing and we hit that spot and we kind of went, oh, whoa, okay. <laughs> How do we do this in a way that we feel like will continue the idea throughout the piece? And I think that's just something that's so amazing about her is the way she takes such different characters and yet continues to pull an idea throughout all three of the movements even.
0: Uh, if I can uh, just add, uh... You know, when I think about, you know, Mendelssohn was mentioned and when I think about Felix Mendelssohn, of course, I think about Fanny Mendelssohn, another woman composer who for far too long uh, was not only overlooked, but had music published um, under her brother's name. So, you know, I really hope to uh, live long enough to be in the world where, um, you know, when we hear something from uh, Clara Schumann's music that think that makes us think of Mendelssohn, that we think of Fanny Mendelssohn. Because because we know that uh, Fanny Mendelssohn, Clara Schumann, they were, you know, just two of the many women who helped you know, not just add to the classical repertoire, but form its its very skeleton. You know, form these feelings you're talking about in each of uh, in each of these romances, these different feelings and these different um, aesthetics. I just uh, I felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, give a shout out to Fanny Mendelssohn as well. So yeah, thank you for both of those questions. Are there any other questions?
1: You don't ask us, we're going to start asking you. <laughs> Listening to her music and hearing about her life, I wonder what we know, what do we know about her day-to-day life? How much help did she have raising 8 kids and doing all this other stuff for example?
0: You know, one of the things that um, I've learned in in my research of Clara Schumann, you know, when I was talking with Megan, I mentioned how her daughters grew up to really, you know, assist her in in the day-to-day. And um, I think that's an important aspect of Clara to remember is that alongside, again, being a musician, being a muse, she was a phenomenal mother. So much so that her daughters were inspired and wanted to help you know, keep that music going and, and, and keep that art going. Of course, we know about um, her husband, Robert Schumann's um, demise, his struggles with uh, mental health and, and, and her doing um, all of that and dealing with all of that while taking care of the kids and while um, writing the music. You know, life was a lot different back then and, um, you know, all the more reason to really celebrate her
1: legacy and her music. When we, were, when we were putting this, uh, this evening together, we would sit in meetings, and uh, everyone would go around and uh, talk about where they were in their part. And they'd get to me, and they'd say, well, Scott, what are you going to do? And I said, represent male fragility? <laughs> Maybe? But um, one of the things that I think about is what music did she write that we don't have? What have we missed? Mm. Um, the fact that after Robert died, she went back out on tour and played his music, uh, I, I, just, I just feel like I, I, I'm hopeful that with these stories coming out that everyone starts to pay attention to good music, whether it's composed by a man, a woman, no matter their color, their sexuality. Let's just make it about good music. Are there any other questions or
0: any uh, comments or any feedback or anything? Sure. Julie, our very own. (laughs) She's going to ask me a hard question. No,
3: I'm not. But (laughs) one of the things that I want to make sure um, people are aware of, and maybe you are, is that she literally was as popular and as famous as Franz Liszt in her day. And we still hear about Franz Liszt and how he did this, he did that. And, you know, she was out there competing on the same level. And she was helping to make her husband famous, other men to become famous. And she didn't get to do as much composing as she had hoped to do because that kind of got put on the back burner. As you can imagine, um, she actually had seven children. Unfortunately, one died in infancy. But still, that's a lot of kids to raise. And then she went out after her husband died, and she became the primary breadwinner, and she was for most of their marriage, too. So as a working mom... That just blows my mind i mean when i first learned about her you know 25 years ago or whatever i literally was like oh my god she was the original super mom
0: and and julie what you've said reminds me of the word equity and we talk about that all the time on our podcast you know julie when, when you say that um clara schumann was as popular and you know, as as out there as Franz Liszt. Well, Franz Liszt is a, is a name that we all know, but Clara Schumann is not a name we've always known. So when we um, specifically on the on the Triloquy podcast, when we really focus on music by people of color, music by women, music that comes from places that we we may not have typically uh, heard it before, it's all in response to just the societal challenges that so many people have had over the centuries. And in many ways still have, not just in classical music, but outside of it. So as, you know, I, I think I said at the beginning of, uh, of this presentation that, you know, Clara Schumann isn't just a phenomenal woman of classical music, but a phenomenal person in classical music. But I, I never mean to underscore, or I, I never mean to uh, diminish uh, the fact that she was a, a woman, because again despite being a mother, despite living in the 19th century uh, in a world in a Europe where it was unseemly for a woman to compose, she still did. And thankfully, uh, we have her music. So I think it's always so important to remember those things um, when we're listening to, uh, to classical music, specifically music uh, written by women. Oh, well, I, I'm getting the, the hand that uh, we're, we're done. Again, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to all the guests, sorry, for, for, for being here. This has been phenomenal. You can listen to Triloquy, um, Triloquy.org, or, or subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much, guys. The first live recorded opus of Triloquy under our belts, Scott. We did it. First of many. I I like that a lot. I'm yeah. looking forward to doing more of those. And you know what what I was excited about um, was that, you know, this 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 opus of Triloquy wasn't maybe our spiciest episode, our most controversial opus, but you know, the audience that we were in front of isn't necessarily our our target audience, but they, you know, you know, uh, it, it seems like they reacted to it. it. It seems like something that they appreciated, especially with um, that live music. Another uh, shout-out to uh, Sophia and uh, Inez for just providing. Oh, I mean, I, you, look, you will not, never get me to um, overlook live performance and, and the mm-hmm. magic of that, and not just live performance, but world-class live performance. They sounded really great. They know? did,
1: and I really think that this opus of Triloquy points in the direction where this music and this radio format of public radio is going to go. Yeah. Okay. So you know we had um, people of color, women. You know, and then over on the left there's me, <laughs> you know, the one, the one white guy. I I think that it was. I I think that it gave a good snapshot of where we're headed and who's going to take us there, which yeah. is the likes of you and Melissa and Sophia and. It and has. Megan, who yeah, we heard and from Megan him as well. Um,
0: yeah, so a shout out again to the to the uh, audience that came to uh, watch that. It was it was so much fun. Again, not our typical audience. Um, maybe they're the stereotypical public <laughs> radio audience. See, but... y- you're allowed to say different words than I'm allowed mean, to say. You mean older white people? <laughs> sure. Well, okay, I'll say it. Well, okay, that's fine. I'm I'm allowed to say. <laughs> and you're allowed to say that. So, on the next opus of triloquy, um Scott, we're going I'm I'm making myself vulnerable next time because we're going to church. And
2: <laughs> oh, on the next opus,
0: you know, we'll talk a bit about my relationship with church and um I I I'm I'm going to be honest, Scott. I'm I'm nervous about next time because I have very opposing views to the space we're going to be in where uh, you and I, uh, well, this coming Sunday, as we record this, we're going to um, visit uh, Minnesota's very first black church, and um, their music director and their um, keyboard player is a guy named Jacob Dodd. I met him back when I played with the uh, Ilharmonic um, here in yeah. the Twin Cities uh, a few months ago. We talked. He's the music director of this very important black musical institution in the state of Minnesota, so uh, uh, after we visit his church, um, Jacob's going to come into the studios and We're going to have a little bit of a chat with him. So, yeah, I'm nervous but uh, excited.
1: (laughs) Be listening for it next time on Triloquy.